Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 27. This is a Psalm of David. If you notice from this morning, we use King David as a, as a vehicle in order to preach on the subject of forgiveness. This afternoon, I'd like to do the same with King David to preach on the subject of hope. Psalm chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me, in the pavilion the secret of his tabernacle shall, be, shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in this tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger, Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. And notice verse 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Many scholars have looked at this uh, psalm, in particular Psalm 27, and some of them have thought that maybe this in fact was two different psalms that were stuck together because of the different attitude and tense we find. In the first part of the psalm, we see the word picture David is describing here. He uses many word pictures in the psalms. By the way, might I pause to say that a preacher once said, which is very true to me, that the Bible speaks to me, but the psalms speak for me. David wrote many of the psalms, and you can find every human emotion in the psalm. Everything that you think, everything that you feel, everything that you just need to let out, the psalms speak about. So a preacher once encouraged me to memorize the psalms, to speak the psalms, to actually speak them out loud because the psalms speak for us. The Bible speaks to us, but the psalms speak for us. Here, the, you know, the picture David is drawing is not of a sheep or a meadow or of a dark valley. 
but of battles, the battle scene. And here, he is very positive. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. He's very confident in the first seven or eight verses. And then the tense sort of changes. Then he starts crying. He says, hide not thy face from me. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Deliver me not over to mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelties. So that's the reason some believe that because of the difference here, he's very confident in the first eight verses, and he's sort of not so confident and he's saying, he's pleading for the Lord not to hide his face from him. And he's talking about all the cruelty that is surrounding him. Well, I think there's no mistake that this is all one psalm. Because this speaks of us, doesn't it? I mean, we can uh, have a great session in prayer. Or we can go to a weekend meeting like this. And then when we leave after Sunday afternoon, we can be very confident, you know, singing onward Christian soldiers, nothing will beat down my faith, and then Monday morning comes around, and uh, the pressures of life, and the home, and the work bear upon us, and we see ourselves suddenly upon our knees, crying to the Lord, hide not thou thy face, you know, uh, my mother and my father may disown me, but please don't leave me, Lord. But here in his anguish, David writes, verse 13, he says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful language. And it's inspiring language. And it's the language of hope. It's the language of hope. Notice he says, I had fainted. I would have given up. I would have fell flat on my face unless I had believed, unless he had faith, you know, believing something that was so, even though it was not so, until it became so because God said so. Right. He had believed to see. He makes it specific there. He means to see the goodness of the Lord. The Lord is great and the Lord is good. It's the goodness of the Lord where? Where? In the land of the living. In the land of the living. A lot of us think that the resurrection is just a New Testament concept. It's not. It's an Old Testament concept. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, I can have hope. I would have fainted. I would have fell flat on my face. I would have given up unless, unless I did not know about this thing called the resurrection. He says, I will see, not just feel or experience, but I will see with my own eyes the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We see similar language of that in Job chapter 19. Job says, and though after skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. Whom I, and he wants to make, you, make it clear, he's using his own eyeballs. <laughs> he says, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. 
So Job, another Old Testament figure, is talking about this concept of the resurrection. And it's not just some kind of concept, intellectual exercise. It's real. I know that I will experience it. I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living with my own eyeballs, maybe not the eyeballs I have now, but when I'm resurrected and this mortal shall put on immortality, it will be my eyes. He's not going to exchange my eyes, but he will change my eyes and I will be able to see the Lord in his beauty, in his resurrected state, where? In the land of the living. Now that, my friends, is the morning of the resurrection. He's saying, and that's my hope. You know, in this wars and past wars, I have prevailed and was confident. But since then, I've been on my knees and I've been begging, Lord, show me something. Hide not thou faith from me. People have rejected me. My enemies have surrounded me. They have showed me that cruelty. The things I've experienced in this life are terrible. And I would not have been able to go another step if it was not for the hope I have in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, in the last chapter of Acts, Paul makes this statement. Acts chapter 28, verse 20. Paul says, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Let me repeat that. He says, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. What was the apostle talking about? Hope is incredibly important, brothers and sisters. A few years ago, a man wrote a book. It was actually a study, a study on 25,000 prisoners of war from a couple of different wars. He made a study, and he was trying to decide why some of them lived, why some of them survived, and why some of them passed away. Some of them, you know, uh, that he did a study. There was a lot of groups there that lived on the same rations. They did the same amount of work. They slept the same. But yet there were some that passed away very soon after they were made prisoners. But others survived. Some survived even past being a prisoner to live again in the real world. And he reasoned that some lived when others died because some people held on to hope. The moment they started to lose hope was the moment that they began to die. Those that dreamed of surviving having a better future, maybe getting married, having a family. These survived because hope, my friends, hope keeps us alive, physically and spiritually. We can go 40 days without food. We can go seven days without sleep. We can go three days without water, but we cannot go a single day without hope. This is why hope is so incredibly important to us in our daily lives. And this is why Paul's statement is significant to me. He says, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with his chain. It makes sense to me. Over in Acts chapter 9, we find that Paul has preached the gospel too. And he becomes a preacher in Israel. Then goes on to preach in Asia and Europe and Macedonia and Greece. We see that he, after he becomes a preacher, he converts hundreds and hundreds to Christianity. He survives 
starving. He survived stone, shipwreck and stoning and snake bite during his ministry. We come all the way to Acts chapter 21 and we see that he's arrested there. And the Jewish authority wants to put him to death. They want to end him. Evidence is presented of his guilt before Felix, the Roman governor, Festus, and also Agrippa, the king of Judea. And all of them conclude that Paul was not worthy of death. The Jews argued that he should be put to death. But if he was not going to be put to death, you know, he should leave get life imprisonment. And so Paul had no other choice but to appeal to Caesar. And that could take years. That could take years, and he knew it, but he had no alternative to do it. So then he began his long and arduous journey to Rome. And it was a terrible journey. And then it comes all the way to Acts chapter 28 when he finally appears at Rome. So we go from Acts chapter 21 all the way to Acts chapter 28, and Paul finally arrives at Rome. And what does he do? He then calls the chief of the Jews together, and he wants to give them the real reason for him being arrested. See, the Jews at that time were expecting a Messiah who would literally free them from Roman rule and then also make them a great and prosperous nation again upon the earth. So they were looking for a physical Messiah to, to uh, free them from physical domination by this Roman government. And they thought that they, the new Messiah would establish their new kingdom and they were going to live a wonderful life of autonomy from that day on. But Paul was trying to explain to them it was not a physical kingdom that they should be looking for. It's actually a spiritual kingdom, the same spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ was preaching. So instead of external powers and grandeur, he was talking about a glory, a different kind of glory that they were looking for. Paul was preaching a Messiah who was the son of a carpenter, and he was preaching of a kingdom not of this world, but of another world. Paul preached a kingdom that did not reside in Jerusalem, but instead resided in the hearts of God's children. And Paul preached that the expectation of a, of a physical, literal physical kingdom would be the shame and ruin of the Jewish nation. Paul preached that the spiritual kingdom of holiness and love set up in the hearts of man was actually a precursor to this wonderful thing that was going to be called heaven that would be total spiritual kingdom and that would be in the life hereafter. A precursor of the joyful resurrection of the dead and the life that would be to come through Jesus Christ. See, this is the real hope of Israel. Jesus Christ was the hope of Israel, the hope of the resurrection. And this is how Paul could survive. This is how Paul survived unjust punishment. That's how he survived hunger and hate and stoning. And that's why Paul said in Romans 8 that we are saved by hope. That word saved just means delivered. Some people read the Bible with saved as, the, as one definition, saved to eternal heaven. That's certainly not the case when Paul was talking about that in Romans chapter 8. He was saying that only reason he could survive 
The only reason he could be delivered from the pitfalls and, and the valleys and the darkness of this world is to be saved by hope. And you and I, brothers and sisters, what do we have to contend with? I don't have to contend with shipwreck and snake bite and stoning, but I have to survive and you have to survive different things. Our society, our culture, I actually see a lot less hope in this world nowadays. I mean, TV and news is trying to take away our hope, social media. I mean, there's not a lot of good news out there. There's bad news and there's worse news. And there's, I didn't think it'd get any worse news, but it is, <laughs> it is worse news. There's a lot of more people arguing out there and fighting and more bitterness than I've seen in my lifetime. And I think a lot of people are losing or lost hope. I mean, we went through a big pandemic and they're talking about another one to come. They're warning us of another one. Is it ever going to end? The prospects of a third world war, you know, are on the horizon. Inflation. I mean, we've worked so hard for the money that we have and now it's being taken away from us. Families breaking up. I mean, we've got the Russian-Ukraine and what's going to happen there. Uh, we've got the housing crisis. People saved up for their whole lives to try to buy a house, and now they're priced out of it. Our finances, people have lost their desire for different things in this life, and, and they lost their desire for a better life because life has just beat them down. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the hope that we have. Jesus Christ is the hope of Israel and the hope of a chosen people. And I'd like to talk about, in a minute, three reasons that we can have hope. First, I'd like to read a uh, scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 1. First four verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that which fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. First of all, it's blessed, it's joyful, it's exciting, it's glorious, it's happy, my friends. This hope that we have will put a pep in your step. It should, because he is risen. He's the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our father. What does it say? He's the Abba father. He's our daddy father. But what kind of daddy is he? Is he an abusive father? Some people, that's the way they view him. They're just waiting for the Lord. He's just uh, waiting around the corner, ready to beat you down for the first mistake that you make. That's not the kind of father that we have. We don't have an abusive father. We certainly don't have a deadbeat father. We don't have a cruel father. Is he a father that we run from? No, he is a father that we can run to. He is the resurrection. He is the good news. He is the gospel. He's not a father that you have to comply with all sorts of rules in order to be accepted by him. 
but he's a father that's full of mercy and grace. He says what? He says he's abundant in mercy. We deserve something bad, don't we? I mean, that's what the definition of mercy is. His grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. But it says he's abundant in mercy. We deserve something bad, but he gives us something good. And by this mercy, what has he done? He hath begotten us again. Why does he say he has begotten us again? Why again? Because, for instance, we were lost in Adam. We were designed and created to be in the very presence of God. God walking around the garden in the cool of the evening. And it should have been them and Adam and Eve. But because of Adam's sin, he voluntarily disobeyed and violated God's law. Therefore, we were kicked out of the presence of God, out of the garden, out of the family, as it were. And it took, it was going to take a miracle to get us back into the family, back into a state of reconciliation with our father. And how was that going to happen? It was the second mad Adam. The second, the first mad Adam got us into trouble. The second mad Adam, Jesus Christ, is going to get us back into that state of reconciliation. It says, mercy and family ties. And because of this, we have a lively hope, not a dead hope. It's a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. What kind of inheritance? It's incorruptible. It will not decay. It will not perish. And it says, and undefiled. It's unsoiled. It's not impaired. And that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven. Not like my car reservation. <laughs> they know how to take the reservation, but they don't know how to hold the reservation. God will take your, takes the reservation, and he holds the reservation. He says, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So my question to you, Bethel, this morning, where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is your hope in a scratch-off ticket that you're going to buy, maybe this afternoon? Is that the money you have, oh, then I'll be happy. Then I'll, that's not a good place to put your hope in, is it? Because a great philosopher once said, more money, more problems. Yeah, a lot of people uh, go, you know, take diets. A lot of people, like my boys, go to the gym all the time. They go to the gym for a couple hours and they come home and they flex in front of the mirror. And I told them, that's just fleeting, brother. You know, you can nip and tuck it, but gravity's going to get you <laughs> one day or another. So people put their stock in diet and the gym and plastic surgery or whatever, or beauty uh, and taking selfies all the time. That is all going to fade away. Not a great place to put your hope. A lot of people put their identity and their hope and everything they have in their job. That's what defines them. Then they get fired. A lot of people look for influence. They want to have a great influence, and then they get canceled. A lot of little girls are looking, their hope is finding that Prince Charming one day in their life. Nice Prince Charming. And then they find out after they get married that Prince Charming at 6 a.m. his breath stinks, and at 6 p.m. his feet stink. So you can love your husband, and he's a wonderful thing, but don't stock your hope in your husband. Because husbands, unfortunately, leave this world as well. The world says hope is out there, somewhere, somewhere around you. But Jesus says the hope that you need to have is in your heart.
That's where he places it. You know, there's out there, there's depression meds. Depression med medication is probably one of the most prescribed medications in our culture. There's 10-year-olds taking anxiety medication. You know, what are we coming to? Where is our hope? The good news for you, brothers and sisters, is that the answer to our problems is right here. It's in our worship of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and his kingdom. The good news is right here, right here all along. And I'd like to talk very briefly, because I know it's the afternoon, about three reasons to have hope. One day for each day, Jesus Christ was in the tomb. Number one, we have hope because in Jesus, we have a new life. Jesus Christ gives us the new birth. And because of the new birth, he gives us new life. And the story of Nicodemus, remember, Nicodemus wanted to come to Jesus. He was afraid of the crowds, came by night. And Jesus Christ taught him the great lesson of the new birth. Can a man, he says, can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus was very confused about this concept. He says, is this some kind of reverse biology, you know, find my mother? He goes, no, no, that would be awkward. <laughs> that's, not, well, that's not what I'm talking about. This birth is from above. It's a spiritual birth. Everyone, you know, if you're here, has been born naturally, but you are all born into sin. Sin destroys. Sin is why we have wars and injustice and death. But the new birth comes because God sent it to us because we were elected before the foundation of the world. Therefore, brothers and sisters, because he has given us life in the new birth, if you have life because of the new birth, if you see spiritual things and enjoy the gospel and enjoy being in this place, then you have a hope of something better. Hope in this life and the next. See, when Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb, we walked out with him because we have the new birth. Number two, we have hope because Jesus Christ, we have a new hope, a new hope. What kind of hope? It's not a dead hope. It's not a false hope. It's not a fake hope. It's not a misguided hope. It's a new hope. In fact, the scripture says it's a living hope, a lively hope. Where there is life, there is hope. Where there is life, there is hope. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am come that they might have life and that they might have that more abundantly. Jesus Christ gave his life so that we could have life and that we could have hope. Hope, my friends, moves us forward. The best is yet to come. Let's leave the past in the past. You know, when we our vehicles, we got two mirrors. We got we got the front windshield, and you got the rear view mirror, and everything looks smaller in the rear view mirror. And that's how it needs to be. We need to leave the past in the past. Hope moves us forward in this life. Also, hope gives us light in darkness. God is sovereign, and God is in control, and it's God that gives us the light. Everything else is darkness. Hope increases our faith. Hope without faith is just a wish, brothers and sisters. It's a sincere expectation. Hope increases our faith. Hope sustains our joy. You know, it's impossible. It really, when you think about it, it's impossible to be depressed when you have hope. 
It's impossible to be depressed when you have hope. The problem is we forget about it. We forget about it. Also, hope gets rid of fear. Society, we talked about that. We talked about gas prices and inflation and sickness and death. And we know that the world uses fear to control us. Hate to break it to you, but Fox News uses fear to control you, to manipulate you. CNN does it. The world in general uses fear to control you. And Paul's talking to the Jews and he's telling them that your hope is not in a physical throne. He says, he's trying to tell the Jews that were looking for a particular kind of Messiah, says hope is not casting off Roman rule. He says, true hope, the true hope of Israel is in Jesus Christ. You know, they were trying to control Paul. The world was trying to control Paul by putting him in jail. But Paul didn't even let that stop him. As we read from other letters in the New Testament, that he was converting the very soldiers that were guarding him. He was reaching outside of the prison walls and bars and converting people to the truth. Even though the world was trying to control Paul, he couldn't be controlled because he had hope. It would be so easy for Paul to curl up in a corner and give up. Everything he did, everything he tried, seemingly it was going to not. He was still being brought to a prison in Rome, but Paul did not let that stop him. In fact, the first thing he did when he got to Rome was he called the chief Jews together. He says, the reason I am bound here, the very reason for it is because the hope of Israel. The reason I can go another day is because of the hope I have in Jesus Christ. He is my strength. I find strength in him and he finds value in me because I am one of his little ones. We don't have to fear, brothers and sisters. We don't have to fear insignificance because we are fearfully and wonderfully made we don't have to fear of being alone we don't have to have that fear because we have hope jesus christ says i will be with you even until the end of the world and i'll never leave thee i'll never forsake thee we never have to fear that we have no purpose because we were made on purpose for a purpose Hope gets rid of fear in our lives. And number three, we can hope because we have a new promise, a new promise. It's an inheritance. Everything that was his is going to be ours. Inheritance, brothers and sisters, is a sign of love. You know, when you make a will, you're writing it out, and usually it's a sign that someone loves you, that they're trying to take care of you after they're gone. And Jesus Christ left us an inheritance. Because of his death, he says, everything I have in this resurrected state is now yours. You know, we don't have to carve it up in equal little shares. He says, we're co-heirs, we're joint heirs. Everything I have is yours. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And the reason we have that, my friends, is because of what's called the great exchange. Jesus Christ was nailed upon a cross. And all of the, of the sins of all the elect were placed upon him. 
and in the exchange, all of the glory and wonderful things of Jesus Christ were then passed and credited on to us. I told people last Sunday at the church that I got an email this past couple weeks that said I was pre-approved for a credit card. I said, that's wonderful. I don't have to do anything. I'm pre-approved for a $10,000 limit on a credit card. I said, that's a miracle. That's wonderful. Then I thought about it. And I thought, well, that's not so great. But I'll tell you what is great is that the glory of Jesus Christ was credited to my account. And I was pre-approved for that credit. Isn't that something? Isn't that great? Before the foundation of the world, he chose me. God chose me in his son, Jesus Christ, so that I one day could live with him in heaven in a resurrected body. I was pre-approved. The great exchange, the righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to us and our guilt and our shame and our condemnation was laid on him. Jesus' death was our death. Because of that, Jesus' inheritance is our inheritance. And Jesus' life is our life. And we are saved by hope. Let's be the Father.